Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Benton Thompson. If you want to create change in any area of your life, you're in the right place. Together, we'll explore the strategies and tools I've used to lose over 100 pounds, pay off $130,000 in debt, and become a multiple seven-figure business owner. I've supported more than 3,000 women to levels of execution and fulfillment they didn't know were possible. Together, we'll break your past patterns and eliminate the appeal of your excuses so you can get consistent, stay consistent, create the results you want, and enjoy the journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and today we're talking about fertility, which might not be your cup of tea, (laughs) but maybe there's somebody you know that you can send this episode along to who it is their cup of tea. This is something that's a priority for them or a goal for them. And let me say this, fertility expert, I am not. However, my background is in endocrinology, so hormones and all things hormones, and I have spent a ton of time researching fertility, especially female fertility, because I anticipated a lot of trouble getting pregnant, and anticipating that there were things that I shifted and adjusted before getting pregnant that I personally believe had a huge role in getting pregnant as quickly as I did three times now. I've talked about this before, but since I was either 15 or 16 until maybe three years ago, that I likely would not get pregnant naturally. And there were, the primary reason for that was I was diagnosed at 16 with polycystic ovarian syndrome. A secondary reason was that I was very overweight. And nobody really came out and said that was going to be a barrier to fertility. But I mean, it is. (laughs) And so losing weight, no doubt, had a dramatic impact on my ability to get pregnant. Hands down, I do not deny that whatsoever. Even still, I anticipated fertility challenges. When I got divorced, I was previously married before Chris, and when I got divorced with with my first marriage, we actually, I don't remember if he went with me or I went by myself, but either way, Uh, I met with and started treatment with fertility docs. Um, We didn't end up pursuing that at that time because I decided I want to get healthy first. And so I did. But when I got divorced, I decided to freeze my eggs. Had to have been in like 2017, probably maybe 2016, but I think 2017. I froze my eggs 
not only because I was getting older, but because I had been told to expect fertility challenges. And I really thought that at some point I'd go down the IVF road. And and I still might. I still might. I, I want a big family and God knows the last few years have sort of beat my body up a little bit. I was super surprised to get pregnant the very first month we started trying when Chris and I started trying and, and had Dagny. And I got pregnant right before turning 36 with Dagny. And I made some changes prior to getting pregnant that I want to talk about today. Then I made some other changes, some additional changes prior to getting pregnant with Roe and really dialed things in prior to getting pregnant with the twins that I'm now carrying. So with Dagny, I was it was just a couple months before my 36th birthday and we got pregnant the first month of trying. Then after Dagny was born, I got pre- I got pregnant less than 6 months later. I found out I was pregnant exactly 6 months from the day she was born. And I was 37 at that point. And then at 38, I got pregnant before Roman was 10 months old. I don't remember exactly how old he was, but it was before that 10-month mark. And I was barely, he was barely weaned at that time. And I know that the breastfeeding reduced, suppressed my fertility. And, and at 38, there I was essentially like my first not essentially, my first cycle post-exclusively nursing, I got pregnant again with twins. And, you know, my my maternal fetal medicine doc and I kind of laugh. She jokes and says that I'm super fertile, which is hysterical to me because that is not anything that I ever thought would be used to describe me. I don't even think it's the way my body is designed. But I do believe that some of these changes that I made had a big impact. And so I want to share them with you. Some might not resonate. Some you might not feel comfortable with. All of that is fine. This is just me sharing what has worked for me three times as I approach 40. And these changes that I'm sharing are the changes that I will go back to as soon as I'm ready to get pregnant again, God willing, after the twins. And I give my uterus a little bit longer of a break this time. Just so you know, I very much, after Dagny was born, wanted to get pregnant as soon as possible. And after Rome was born, wanted to get pregnant as soon as possible. And a lot of that was my age, but also the fact that Dagny died um, at 14 days old unexpectedly. So now I'm like, okay, my uterus needs a little bit of a break, but I can't be too long of a break because I'm 39, you know? So as I said a few minutes ago, I feel really strongly that the journey started with weight loss. I know that's a touchy thing, especially if you are heavier and you've struggled with your weight for a long time and you're also struggling with fertility. Like, well, if I could have lost the weight before, I would have. It's not that easy. But let me explain the nuance here. I think that the weight loss was actually a result of some changes that I made that also created hormonal balance 
which is different from, I just did whatever I could do to lose weight. So I got very, very focused. And I'm going to talk about specifically what changes I made. But I got very focused on consistency with quality foods. Consistency with quality foods. And that and the way that it influenced my hormones led to both weight loss and a better situation for my body to be able to conceive and not only conceive, but facilitate eggs maturing, uh, follicles maturing, embryos growing, all of that. So because of the changes I made nutritionally, it improved my hormonal balance and that led to weight loss which is not how I've approached weight loss before. Sometimes it's just been like, let's have tomatoes and grilled chicken and the weight will fall off. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm getting in a better situation hormonally. I followed a lot of crash diets that did not put me in a better situation hormonally. In fact, probably put me in a worse situation hormonally. But when it really clicked for me, it was consistency with quality foods that improved my hormones, making me more fertile, and also facilitating weight loss. So that was years ago. Then, and this evolved, there was some of it before Dagny, more of it before I got pregnant with Roman, all of it before I got pregnant with the twins, okay? And to be clear, because I get this question a lot, um... All of my pregnancies have been spontaneous and natural. I have nothing in the world against IUI or IVF or stim drugs or anything like that. Nothing at all. I'm sharing this from my journey, which so far has been improve my physical health, get pregnant on our own with no interventions, you know, sex, just the sex part. At some point, my journey might include IVF or anything along those lines, and I am super open to that. I'm super open to whatever anybody has to do to grow their family, Um, but just wanted to put that out there because I do get that question a lot, especially with twins. All right, let's talk about the nutrition specifics. Number one, I cut caffeine. Caffeine is a stimulant it can be pro-inflammatory. That was one. I I really wanted to calm my system and I wanted to ditch anything that was inflammatory or I should say almost anything that's inflammatory because I did do some dairy. So no caffeine and I love coffee. At some points I did decaf coffee, um, but for the majority of the time I was doing just no coffee. I was switching to water. I was switching to supplements like Edge or the Energy Plus that doesn't have caffeine in it. Um, But yeah, no caffeine, no exceptions. This is not what I'm telling you to do. I'm just sharing what has worked for me, okay? I want to keep saying that because this isn't some prescription. This isn't medical advice. And I'm certainly not telling you what to do. But I do get a lot of questions about this, so I wanted to put it out there. The other thing, Sugar, gone. And that includes 
starches that you would consider whole foods. So the reason that I classify it that way is because if I have a potato, that metabolizes to sugar. Same thing with rice. Same thing with cassava chips. I can't, I, I will say that I probably had some fruit, but not a lot. That was definitely something that was on the, when I was trying to get pregnant with the twins, definitely no fruit. But I might have had a little bit here or there trying to get pregnant with Dagny or Roe, but rarely. So sugar, gone. Processed foods, gone. Caffeine, gone. If I had to label the way that I was eating, especially right before the twins were conceived, I would call it, no, it's not even that. I was going to say clean keto, but there was probably more protein in it for it to be considered keto. And the reason I add that little caveat, uh, and the label doesn't even matter, I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of days. But for something to be a keto diet, it's not only high fat, it's also moderate to low protein and very, very, very low carb. Um, I was, especially before the twins, and to to significant but lesser extents before I conceived Dagny and Roman, um, I was on the lower carb side of the spectrum, but I'm very rarely low protein. So I would say it was like moderate, even moderate high protein, and also moderate to moderate high fat. So let me give you an example. Um, breakfast on a typical day would be two or three strips of bacon. I get my bacon that has no sugar added. You can find that at many stores, including Whole Foods, or you can order it from butchers online. But I would do two or three strips of bacon and three eggs-ish, I would cook the eggs in some of the remaining bacon fat that rendered off while cooking the bacon. And I would often put some green vegetables like arugula or spinach in the eggs and cook that. I wouldn't be eating that raw. The, when I say clean keto, and, and, and I wasn't eating in a way that was keto because, again, as we've established, that requires low protein-ish, and I was more moderate, moderate, high protein. But when I say clean, there's this notion of dirty keto that's like, let's just add heavy cream to everything, and let's make these fat bombs with cream cheese and, and artificial sweeteners that don't really have calories. That's what we call dirty keto. Like, that's just eating things that technically qualify but aren't promoting your health. Like there's nothing about Truvia, Stevia, erythritol, any of those things that that people use to make keto desserts or even cream cheese that's like health promoting, that's going to add anything. So I was really focused on good quality food. Um. The, the other thing is eating this way is super satisfying for me personally, so I'm not getting hungry and feeling like I need to snack all the time. The more crap I eat, the more I feel like I need to snack because of the blood fl- blood sugar fluctuations, so snacking wasn't a big thing. Uh, lunch 
could be something like a salad, uh, the base of the salad. I, I personally, just palate preferences, prefer arugula to like spinach or lettuce, but really the base doesn't matter. So if I say arugula, it's just because that's what I prefer flavor-wise. So a salad with the base being arugula, some cucumbers, some green bell pepper, maybe some celery, some tomatoes, and steak or salmon, even chicken, often just whatever protein I have left over from dinner the night before or recently in that week. And then I would make a salad dressing. I just do equal parts avocado oil and balsamic vinegar. So say like, you know, um, a quarter cup and a quarter cup with a tablespoon of Dijon mustard, shake it up, and that would last me a few meals of salad dressing. Um, That would be a typical lunch, but lunch could also be leftovers. Like my lunch today that would very much fit the bill was leftover spaghetti squash that had tomatoes, basil, and ground beef. Um, So that could easily be a lunch when I'm eating this way. And then dinner, a common one for us is steak and broccoli. Another common one for us is cauliflower rice burrito bowls. So instead of regular rice, cauliflower rice, add in whatever protein you prefer. We really like steak. We like chicken thighs. I also like ground pork. And then things like salsa and avocado, cilantro. That's a real typical dinner. Um, Because this is a real satisfying way for me personally to eat, I didn't much feel the need to snack. But if I was really hungry, which didn't happen often, I might do some string cheese. I included dairy, but not a lot of dairy. So that was part of part of it for me. That is the first thing that I did that I know improved my fertility. I was just having a call with one of my clients inside the consistency course, and she has a fertility goal right now. And she also struggles eating a fair amount of sugar. And I'm all for small changes, but I said, like, let's talk. Let's just talk. You're in fertility treatment right now, and you don't want to continue that or pay for that and have it be unsuccessful. Sugar decreases your chances for sure because it's pro-inflammatory, you know? So that was one of the big changes that I made. One of the other big changes that I made was to the way that I was working out. The reason that I made this change is not because it's super well documented for supporting fertility, but that because stress impairs fertility, I decided to eliminate my high-intensity interval training. So like CrossFit-type stuff, I got rid of all that high-intensity stuff, jumping, sprints, even though that stuff is great for fat loss, I knew because of my circumstances with lack of sleep, because of my circumstances with the stress around like grief and Dagny's death and all of that, that I needed to minimize stress. So for exercise, I just did walking and lifting. Walking and lifting, and I'm not talking about like speed walking. I would walk for 30 minutes every day, sometimes more than that, outside whenever I could. 
and I would lift weights that are heavy to me, but I wasn't doing the traditional interval training or get your heart rate jacked up kind of training. Again, there there is some data that shows that high intensity interval training a couple times a week, two to three times max, can support fertility goals. That that becomes counterproductive if your system is overstimulated, which mine was for different reasons at different times. Specifically, I really leaned into this these, these changes dramatically when I was trying to get pregnant with the twins. There was a couple month period there where we, we started trying, uh, even before I had my first period post-exclusive breastfeeding. I just knew that the stress of recovering from a C-section, the stress of not getting a lot of sleep at night, the stress of still processing our loss, I needed to minimize stress. So I just did like leisure walking, casual walking and lifting, nothing that got me like breathing really heavy. So that was the second change that I made to improve my fertility. The third, and again, I did this prior to getting pregnant with Dagny, to a greater extent prior to getting pregnant with Roe, and then to the greatest extent when I was trying to conceive the twins, minimizing toxic exposure. So for me, the food piece was already taken care of because for a long time I had been buying grass-fed, organic, that sort of stuff, really paying attention to where my food came from, getting rid of the processed foods. That is a huge source of toxic exposure for most people, but it wasn't a shift I needed to make. So I had to look at things like makeup. And that was the one shift I hadn't really made prior to getting pregnant with Dagny and Roman. But when I wanted to get pregnant before the twins were conceived, I stopped wearing makeup. Uh, I do get lash extensions, so it makes me feel like... I, you know, it, it gives the appearance that I'm wearing mascara, even though I'm not. Um, so I don't feel like my face is totally naked, even though it is. I stop wearing makeup. You don't have to. There are tons of really great brands out there for clean makeup. I was never much of a makeup person anyway. So this wasn't a huge shift for me. I know some people are horrified at the, at the idea of this. There are clean options out there if that's you. Uh, I already was super clean with things like deodorant. I either use Fatco's deodorant or Native deodorant. And then I just got much more particular about things like water. My husband's a big seltzer guy, so we always have cases of seltzer in cans. I stopped drinking out of cans because the liner is plastic. That's toxic exposure. And I just, I drink out of glass or steel for my water. My water was already clean, but I just cleaned up that part of it that I wasn't drinking out of cans. And my skincare was already pretty clean. I use Fatco's products. They're tallow-based um, and they're they're super, super clean, but I got a lot more dialed in with that. Another one that I did was I committed to staying really like head in the game inspired. And this was primarily reading books and listening to podcasts on these topics. 
So there were two books that stand out that were really helpful to me. I'll link them in the show description. The Fertile Feast by Dr. Robert Kiltz, K-I-L-T-Z. And it starts with The Egg by Rebecca Fett, F-E-T-T. I'll link those up in the show description. And then Dr. Jamie Seaman is an OB. She has a podcast. It's on all sorts of topics, but she's done a lot of fertility and OB-related stuff. Her podcast, I think, is called Dr. Fit and Fabulous. And I just listen to that daily, like episodes daily. I, I went to her YouTube. I, I That's how I found Dr. Robert Kiltz, who wrote The Fertile Feast. Then I went to his YouTube and started watching videos. That was keeping my head in the game. It kept me motivated to continue with these changes in, and inspired instead of being like, oh, this sucks. What's the point? So that was a big thing. The fifth thing that I used, and I've talked about this on the show before, but it was a big part of, of the process for me, so I couldn't leave it out. I was using a device called Mira, M-I-R-A, zero affiliation whatsoever. I did reach out to them to see if they would give me a code. I can't remember if they did or not, but if they did a discount code, I'll put it in the show description. But essentially, I used Mira instead of things like um, standard ovulation test strips or different things like that. I, I used standard ovulation test strips when I was trying to get pregnant with Roman. Um, and then I switched to Mira. Like I think I had one month using just regular test strips trying to get pregnant with Roe. And then the month we got pregnant was the first month I was using Mira. And then I only used Mira for conceiving the twins. I didn't have Mira when I got pregnant with Dagny. So essentially, sorry, I just hit my mic. Essentially, it's this little, it's this little egg-shaped mini computer, if you will. That's the way I think about it. They might cringe by my description of it, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) And it syncs to an app on your phone. And there are three different types of test strips that you use at different points in the month to pinpoint your fertility. But the reason that this is different from fertility tests or ovulation test strips, when you pee on an ovulation test strip, it basically... It looks a lot like a pregnancy test in that like it gives you two lines when you are more fertile. But those can be influenced by any number of things. And it's really tough to know like, okay, did I get it or did I not? And not only that, you you don't know that you ovulated until you've already ovulated, right? Like if there's not a really clear and accurate way to say today is the day you're ovulating. You know, you're looking at like, is this darker than yesterday? Standard ovulation test strips just aren't, just aren't the best. I liked Mira because it gives you an actual value and it's looking at three different things. It's looking at three different markers. In fact, let me see. Let me check my notes here. Um, oh, they did give me a link. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm trying to see if I have any notes in my own, not notes for this show, but my own notes. Um, I don't. One of them is like a progesterone mimic. It's not actually testing progesterone, but it's testing a progesterone metabolite that basically tells you what's happening with progesterone. Uh, One of them is testing estrogen, and I forget what the third one is, but it gives you actual values, like a number, 
which to me is so much more clear than just like faded line, slightly darker line. And where the standard ovulation test strips are just looking at one measure, one one metabolite, this is looking at three. So it paints a much better picture. And I essentially knew right away with Mira, this is the day I'm ovulating. Even like I wasn't ovulating this morning, but I'm going to ovulate in the second half of the day. That clarity was huge for me. Huge. I just found them through, uh, I think they popped up in maybe like an ad for me on social media. So they didn't reach out to me. I didn't reach out to them until twice getting pregnant with them, Roe and the twins. And I was like, do you have a discount link I can give my people? So I'll put that in the show description. The sixth thing was supplements. So there were some specific supplements that I really made sure I was prioritizing for the sake of fertility. So there's other stuff that I take unrelated to fertility. But vitamin D was a big one because those with higher vitamin D levels, those have been associated with higher chances of pregnancy. Lower vitamin D levels are associated with lower chance of pregnancy. So I took a thorn 5,000 IU vitamin D product every day. The second thing that I took specific to fertility was a CoQ10 that is some CoQ10, a lot of CoQ10 is just total garbage. I took one that's more on the expensive side. Uh, It's called ubiquinol bioquinone. And this is, it improves your egg quality by inhibiting DNA oxidation. This is one that, like it's superstar supplement. Uh, Anything that you read that's any good about supplements for fertility is going to include a high quality CoQ10 products. So I took that. Then um, there were a couple things from Amare. The first two that I mentioned, vitamin D and ubiquinol bioquinone, uh, not from Amare. There was a couple from Amare that were really important to me for fertility. Relief plus, but only up until ovulation. From ovulation until when I found out I was pregnant, I would not take it. So say cycle days like zero to 14, I would take two relief plus, And then I would hold off until I knew if I was pregnant or not. Once I'm pregnant, I don't take it in the first trimester because we want that uterine lining to, to get thick. And, and I just didn't want to take anything that could mess with that. I don't think Relief Plus would, but that was just conservative. So I took Relief Plus religiously from zero days, like from the first day of my period until ovulation. Three different probiotics. So the regular probiotic, the mentabiotics, and the um, GBX Fit, which is the quad biotic. And then Mood Plus, because that really helps with the stress hormones, which is very important for me. I did not take Ignite, which is their hormone balancing optimization product, only because it hadn't been launched yet. But for sure, that will be part of my protocol when I'm ready to get pregnant again. I'll link all of these things in the show description as well. Seventh thing was meditation. The reason for the meditation is the impact that it has on our stress hormones. And because all of our hormones are interconnected, 
It also has a positive effect on other hormones, not just something that affects cortisol. When we improve cortisol, we also improve estrogen. We also improve insulin. We also improve progesterone. So because when I was trying to get pregnant with the twins, I had an infant I was not sitting to meditate for 20 or 30 minutes. It would be like five minutes before I fell asleep or 10 minutes before I got into the shower. Not a lot, but I was very consistent with this because of the positive impact it has on the hormones. And then the eighth thing, let's talk about sex. Everybody has a different approach here. I'm just going to share mine. Some people say have sex every other day from like, you know, four days after your period until four days after you think you've ovulated or something like that. We had sex every day from about cycle day five or six. So as soon as my period ended, basically, maybe maybe at a day. If my period was four days, we would have sex for the first time on like day five or day six of my cycle. Um, and then we would have sex every day until about three or four days after I suspected ovulation. If I wasn't quite sure when I ovulated, I'd add another day. But Mira made it really easy for me to kind of know if I had or if I hadn't. So that's how we did it. Every day for that, that's not a long time. It's like a two-week period. Um, And then typically we wouldn't have sex after that because we just like, we were sexed out. You know, I know everybody's different, but we were kind of like, I'm good. I'm good. You're, <laughs> we're, we're okay. We'll do this again next month if we have to. Um, but that's, that's how we did it that worked for us, for Roman and for the twins. For Dagny, it was much more like happenstance, casual, definitely not like, hey, I'm about to go to bed. We need to have sex today. That was not our approach with Dagny, but it was for Roman and the twins. So that sums up the eight things that I did. Anything that's linkable, I will put in the show description, um, the books, the podcast. Well, I probably won't link that because everybody listens in different places. But the podcast, again, was Dr. Jamie Seaman's podcast. I think she spells her name S-E-E-M-A-N. But it doesn't even matter because it's not the name of her podcast. I don't know why I spelled that for you guys. It's Dr. Fit and Fabulous. Um it's not all fertility related, but she is an OB and she talks about it a lot. So I kind of cherry picked those episodes. I don't love her style as a podcast. Might have gotten better. I haven't listened in a while. But uh, she was newer and it was a little like dry for me, but she's very knowledgeable. So it was worth it. And I also found a number of people through that. I'll link all this stuff in the show description. Also wanted to let you guys know very, very soon the consistency course is going to open up again, but it's only going to open up for like 20 or 25 people. The reason for that is I do onboarding kind of one-on-one. Let's talk about your starting point calls with folks. And that's just what I can take on right now before the twins are born. So make sure you check the show description for the wait list because it's going to open to the wait list first. And realistically, probably only to the wait list because we'll probably fill up those 20 or 25 spots from the wait list. So I just wanted to make sure you knew about that. The consistency course is easily the coolest thing I've ever done, the most robust thing I've ever done with so many freaking tools and resources 
cheat sheets, helpful guides around consistency, and you get lifetime access. So make sure you put your email on the wait list because those spots are going to open up, are going to fill up really fast. And then I'm going to have the twins, so I don't know when I'll open it again. So if that's something you're interested in, don't sleep on that. All right, everybody. If you have questions about this, let me know because we could easily do a Q&A episode. I'm an open book, not an expert, but happy to share my experience. Chat with you soon. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, make sure to take a few seconds to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. It not only supports the show in a huge way, but it also automatically enters you into our weekly product giveaway. For more tools, tips, and strategies on creating change, check out my first book, Chasing Cupcakes, and follow me on Instagram at Elizabeth Benton. Remember, every choice is a chance, and I'll see you next time.